Welcome to Conversations at Basecamp. I'm Noah. And I'm Kim. And we're the co-founders of Kihila, a private community that is a digitized and modernized women's resource group. Our content is designed to provide the universal core skills, confidence, and competence needed to advance and lead today and tomorrow. We believe that representation matters. On this podcast, you'll be able to hear some of the amazing conversations we have in our platform with an incredible array of diverse, empowered women. These conversations have inspired our own personal, professional, and financial lives and given us the confidence to step up and show up as our boldest, truest selves. We hope to spark fire in your soul too and help you on your journey to live on purpose and get in the driver's seat of your life. This is Basecamp for Women on the Rise. Join us. Step up. And while you're up there, reach down and bring another woman up too. Welcome to Kahila. I am Kim Havens, your co-founder. And I'm Noah Reese, your also your co-founder. <laughs> Today marks the start of our coffee chat series, group mentoring sessions with executives and leaders on their success routines and how they've risen to where they are today. Our first coffee chat guest is Therese Marriott Thompson, retired 35-year executive of the Coca-Cola Company and founder and chairman of Powered by Zarent, a nonprofit focused on the empowerment of women of color entrepreneurs by providing development and financial resources. Welcome, Therese. Thank you. Glad to be here. Actually honored that you asked me and I didn't realize it was the first, so thank you. Yes, it's the first of our coffee chat series, and we're delighted to have you. All of the pre-interview um, uh, conversations we've had with you have been so full of joy. So excited for this conversation! Strap your seatbelts on, people. <laughs> Don't under you. Now you, now you, yeah, you got to under. You got to under promise, so I can over deliver. <laughs> All right. Okay. So first question, Therese, Where and how did you find your sense of purpose? You know, I hope I don't disappoint because I don't have like some metaphoric uh, deep answer to that. Um, I think purpose, like many things, evolves. And so I think at a very young age, we all have a purpose. I think the key is, is optimizing that purpose um, to be your best self. And so when I think about it, I, I would say I kind of started out like a lot of baby boomers did. I started out very focused on achievement, gaining wealth, gaining access, being the biggest, baddest bosses, African-American woman in corporate America. And so, and, and I'll probably get to share a little bit more about this, but to be honest with you, I think my real purpose came into play later in my career. I mean, like I said, I was always about impact, but it's actually when I had a glass ceiling moment. Um, I got asked to go into to diversity, which was not really my first choice. I wanted to be the corporate leader of a business group or what have you. And so I've always had purpose around impact. I have always been a girl's girl. I have always had a good circle of friends. I have a daughter that I supported. And so development, and I actually had a teenage group at one point that I worked with through my daughter and really helped them. And they were some privileged kids really, to be honest. And I kind of took my street savvy coming from urban America and then the privilege I had acquired working through corporate America and really helped shape some lives. So I think that um, my purpose um, has, it has always really been about development and having impact in my community. Although I thought it was really about wealth acquisition and being successful, I think that when I hit that glass ceiling moment and I was moved into supplier diversity, I realized at that moment, I, was, I had always been on a journey to self-actualize myself, my community, and those in my community to empower them. And so PBZ probably was sort of a natural reiteration of that. And even like I said, as a young child, I was one who always wanted, and probably came from my mom because she was quite a maverick and she was a community organizer and she was a politician. The one thing she didn't do was make a lot of money. 
And that's why I decided, and she helped me decide to go into corporate America to make an impact there. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think it's evolved. Um, and I, like I said, it's not a deeper mission, but I really am uh, really living my purpose doing PBZ. I, I really, really am. So you are now working, starting to work with entrepreneurs right? and would love to hear your thoughts on why do you believe women are natural entrepreneurs Yeah, and, and what resources do they need? Yeah. So, you know, there's not another group um, on earth that is asked to multitask and do it uh, in high heels without um, breaking a lot of glass in a china factory and um, to also be nurturers. And so I just think, um, and I think that's across the board. I think that's cross gender. I think there are some groups, I mean, cross race, ethnicity, et cetera. I mean, I think there are some groups who obviously had to have had to bear a further burden on that. And so, um, so although people say that there's no, you know, that now apparently in science, the brain can't really multitask. I think that you would, we'd have to ask some of our mothers that. So I think that natural ability to adapt and to change um, makes women natural entrepreneurs. I think women of color entrepreneurs, um, because of the additional burden of color and race uh, and discrimination, et cetera, have probably had to do that same multitasking much more than other, others with a lot less resources, which really gets us back to, and so I think there's just a natural hustle um, in most women, but particularly in women of color entrepreneurs. I find that in my last role as vice president of supplier diversity. And also to be quite honest, I think because of those um, barriers that I mentioned it, many women have found themselves having to go into entrepreneurship versus doing sort of the, the traditional job they may have wanted to because, you know, their salaries aren't equitable, etc. And so, um, so I think they're natural. And I think that because of that, and because of all that women are asked to do, that, you know, society has been set up where they don't have access to capital, they don't have access to resources. And they, they don't have things like role models all the time that are there to show them the way, especially with women of color. Um, and, and I still think that there is still a degree of double standards, um, you know, the need to have equity um, and providing access and opportunity. So I think that, I mean, look at what you guys are doing here. Um, you built this out of necessity um, for the need to have these um, honest conversations because you know that there are many of us that are in corners by ourselves doing our thing very well, but really stressing ourselves out, you know, um, you know, not having the optimum resources to do that. So, um, so out of necessity, which women always have, comes great answers and solutions. And so that is kind of why I feel like uh, the you know women entrepreneurs of color are growing at a faster rate than most women entrepreneurs the facts show you they're very successful and the other thing which I think is really really brilliant and one of the reasons why I do what I do and why women become successful if you believe in fate is that it's shown that women who are successful entrepreneurs do give a lot more give a lot back to their community. They nat they're natural nurturers. I do think there's something in DNA that probably makes women natural nurturers. So not only are they making themselves successful, but they're also investing in their communities and making those um, those, those communities successful as well. I love that 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 it's born out of necessity for so many people. <laughs> I never really thought of it that way, but I remember I was born overseas and my parents. Um, you know, my, my father lost his job and we ended up moving to Australia and out of necessity, both my parents started their own business because, you know, they, they weren't um, employable, quote unquote, um, in the corporate world. And so out of necessity, they became entrepreneurs to be able to, you know, put food on the table. I, I never really thought of it that way, but it is actually so empowering as well that women have that in their DNA. Um, 
I would agree. I think women are naturally multitaskers, whether the science says <laughs> it or not. Um, as a good thing, I think we've all proven that it is a really effective thing. Um, would love to um, talk about, you know, as you rose in your own career, what lessons did you have to unlearn? <laughs> you know, I saw that question and I was going to come up with a really smart answer, but you know, um, I'm not sure if I agree with that concept, to be quite honest with you. And I do get it and I understand it. And I do think that we do create bad habits um, that we probably want to um, get rid of. But I really, and I actually was having a conversation with my daughter and I, and I mentioned her a lot just because I learned so much from her and so many of the millennials, because I know people talk about them a lot, but I think they really do get balance, what's important in following their passions. But what I say is, um, you know, everything that we do is for a reason. And even if we don't do it right, there's a lesson to be learned from that. I think that generally when you are doing something the same way over and over again, and you're not getting the same results, there's a reason for that. And what I suggest people do is if you're not you know, getting the results that you want, really make sure you have aligned and calibrated around your objectives and your purpose, like we talked about before. And I really do believe I have a, I, I you know, um, I don't know if every, if anybody read this, I'm dating myself probably waiting to exhale. And I didn't really understand what that meant, but it really is important when um, things aren't quite going your way to take a pause, take a moment, think about what you're doing. And I really do think being purposeful and deliberate as you are um, navigating your life, your career, et cetera, is very important. And um, I say, as opposed to unlearning those mistakes, learn from those mistakes. Now, what I will say um, that I think hinders women a lot, and I never see men doing this um, at all, even young men, millennials who are a lot more enlightened, is I would say the one thing that I would suggest that women unlearn is self-doubt. <laughs> you know, stop being so hard on yourself. Stop second guessing yourself. You know, um, if you've got, um, if you've got, a, if you've been successful on a job, successful in a venture, even if it may have not succeeded beyond, you know, you may have, to, you may be a serial entrepreneur um, and you have accomplished, you're good, you're yeah. good. And you should feel bold about asking for what is yours. I mean, I've had guys, I'm, I've been around a long time and I've had guys who, um, you know, I mean, I'm a CPA, I'm an African-American woman. I worked at Price Waterhouse before for you know, four years, I had, I've worked in Africa. I, I mean, I did a lot of things. And I remember I was going up for a job with this guy. And I think he, and he was one of those guys that he had been touched because everybody loved him, but he like maybe had four years of experience. And I was like worried about, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I do this? He had no concerns at all. And he went in and interviewed a job that he was totally unqualified for. Now I did get that job probably, and to quite honest, it was probably because they were looking for someone that looked like me, even though I was more qualified for him. And I just say, you know, it is important to be self-aware. And I think that's an asset that women have, but don't second guess yourself. That's the thing that I think women should unlearn. You know, don't be cocky. Don't you know? If, if you know, if you know that you don't know, then fine. But if you've done everything you should do for that next opportunity, and even if you do have a gap, most of your your competitors have the same thing. So that would be the thing that I would say: unlearn um, that self doubt, and you know, and continue to be the best that you can at what you do, perfect your skills. But I find that over and over and over again in women. I don't know. Do you guys? agree with yeah. me on that yes and we're um yeah elizabeth in the audience says if a woman makes a mistake she carries that with her all day and into the next day but if a man he's forgotten by lunchtime exactly i mean again I think the, the the unlearning and learning one thing that you did um share with us when we when we've had a previous discussion is that women learn need to learn to say no yes you, yes can you elaborate a bit more on that because that's something we've been talking about a lot 
Well, you know, know, it's never been a problem for me and I don't know why. Um, (laughs) But, um, and and what I tell, just do it the first time. I actually told my daughter that. I said, just do it the first time. And after that, you'll be like, no, no, I don't think so. No, no. So I I, I don't, I think, again, it has to do with the self-doubt. It probably has to do with being a pleaser. And, And I actually think this is probably something um, that women and men may have in common, you know, especially in the corporate world and maybe in the entrepreneurial world. Um, and so what people will do is instead of saying no, they tend to have passive aggressive behavior. And that's something you should also avoid because it's, it's not healthy, it causes stress and you never get anything done. And you have, we actually had a session last night where we had a brilliant woman who talked about facilitation and that's why people like that make a lot of money. So no is so much easier than saying maybe, or I thought I said this, or maybe I said this and don't send it in an email. Pick up the, if you're gonna send in the email, just say no, but pick up the phone, you know, or whatever. Because I think that is really direct, but you're right. You're right. I mean, I, um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons um, that I've had, you know, the degree of success I had until I reached that glass stealing moment, but it's really easy to do. And, you know, there are some people too, who say no, just to say no. You know, I, I think, you know, in business situations, um, it's, it's imp- I think everything is, and when I say strategy, I don't mean anything grand and famous. I'm just saying be thoughtful about what you do. You know, I think, I mean, that idea of by being able to know what you want to say no to, you have now more power in the yeses to and strengthen those. Um, and we see that all the time in so, um, so many of the people that we, we talk to, many of the women that learning that and also as you said i think you mentioned that you have told your daughter it's like learning to say no like saying no the first time is the hardest right it is we've talked to again many executive coaches and and senior women who talk about that transition to learning to say no and you know start small something that you it's not that hard to say no to but you actually need to say it don't do the maybe thing (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly Um, so Therese, you mentioned the glass ceiling mm-hmm. uh, and that obviously is, it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. Are there a couple, maybe an earlier in your career or middle of the career, do you have some examples of other challenges that you really recognized? Maybe it was more in hindsight, but something that you ran into a boulder that you had to figure out how to get around or through. Yeah. I, you know, um, I tell people this story all the time. Um, you know, obviously I had the obvious challenges of, you know, sexism, racism, and that sort of thing. Um, and I will have to say, going to a historically black college, they somewhat prepare you for that world. And the way they prepare you is to build your confidence that you're the best, you're the greatest, you know, you have to be five times as good. And so I did have those challenges. And what I tried to do with those challenges and those barriers that I had, um, and and I have to say, I had a pretty good career and I had some pretty good mentors. Um, But what I tried to do, I really do have a a mentality of making um, lemons into lemonade. So I'll give you an example. And hopefully this will relate to folks in the audience. Um, so I was, I'm a CPA, I'm, I'm non-practicing now. And for those of you who are familiar with consultancy, I started out at Pricewaterhouse. So Pricewaterhouse probably still is very conservative, very white. And that's one of the reasons I went there again, coming out of the HBCU with confidence and really wanted to prove myself. And, um, we had a real, so as a African-American female, you, you knew that you were not going to get placed on the great clients. You might not get placed on any clients and they were really hoping that you would fail your CPA exam and you would be up and out. And so my thing was, well, you know, fine, don't assign me. I spent all of my time studying for that CPA exam. And as a result, I became the first, um, African-American seat, and that was 40 years ago, at that office of Price Waterhouse at the youngest age. And so what, what happened there was that that surprised them. 
So my thing is one of the ways that you overcome those barriers is, you know, the element of surprise. And as a result of that, I was like overbooked on jobs. The other thing that I would say, and we were actually having this conversation, you know, when you're a woman or you're a minority, you know, you do have an extra burden. And if you, and, and it's easy to say, well, I, you know, that's not right. So I'm not going to deal with it. And I say, if, 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 if that's, you know, that's not necessarily a formula for success, even though it is the right, it's, it's the right thing. But, you know, unfortunately, life isn't fair. And I've kind of always looked at it that way. So I also go into situations trying to figure out, because I, I do believe that there are commonalities across many people. And once you find those common, it's like meet, meet a person where there is and then elevate. Meet them where they are and then elevate. And I, and I, I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time, um, but that's what I was thinking. And the thing that I've always had that allowed me to mix well with guys is one, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 5'10", so I'm tall. And they think I'm a sports person, but I'm not, but I know sports. And so that was my commonality. And then after I won the final four champ, um, pool, they were like, oh my God, this girl, she was able to pass the CPA. And those are like simple things that not everybody can do. But the point there is, you know, be in the moment, figure out where you can surprise folks and, and overwhelm them. And then also figure out those common points. But then I would also say, as I started out, the biggest to me, um, um, resistor of barriers is confidence. And it kind of goes back to what I said before. You know, if you're in a place where you know you've been trained to be, own that, own that, be self-aware, et cetera. Because even in my early career, and like I said, I was very lucky, there were obvious barriers that I had that everybody had, and I was able to adapt to those. The one barrier that I came to, and I said that was later in life, was that glass ceiling moment. And I have to tell you, the older Therese at that glass ceiling moment, who was probably about 50 at that time, maybe 45, it took me out. It took out my ego. It I mean, I stayed in my basement crying for a year, I swear, because I was Therese. I was on the, you know, I was the star. They had recruited me from Price Waterhouse. I was on the fast track and they didn't want me to run a business. And I don't know why I was surprised, <laughs> you know, because I don't get surprised. But it was reestablishing that confidence that made me realize that this was where I was supposed to be. Diversity, I could make greater impact in the diversity space at Coca-Cola than I could just be in another operator. And I might not make as much money. And that's what I believe I did. And that's why people like him and Noah, when they see me on LinkedIn, they call me and say, mm, she's got a different kind of profile. Um, but it was that diversity space that was really the groundbreaking space for me. So the confidence, meeting people where they are, understanding what your purpose and your mission is and taking every opportunity that you have to make the most of it. Things that your mama tells you, things that your friends tell you. And then the other thing that I would say is I have always, and again, this isn't something that I knew when I was younger, is I've always had what I would call a great board of advisors. I used to call them a board of directors. People in my space um, that um, had different elements that I didn't have. I always try to get people that were smarter than me around me. I love that. I love people who are smarter than me because I learn a lot and I kind of switch them in and out. Um, because if you just have everybody, it's like the story of diversity. If everybody around you is like you and just kind of a yes man, or if everyone's around you is not as your peer or your subordinate, and I don't mean subordinate, you know, in the personal sense you're not gonna grow and you're not gonna learn and you're not gonna pull yourselves out of those very deep, dark moments. I'm fortunate, I only had one. And I know there are folks out in the audience that have had many, but I do think that those lessons will be helpful to all. 
Okay, so I want to come back to in a moment this idea of you know your your board of advisors, but you mm -hmm. mentioned you know the the hitting the glass ceiling and you know it it knocked the wind out of you. <laughs> and first of all, thank you for sharing that because I think I mean I don't trust anyone who hasn't had one of those moments, but so few of us talk about them. But when you were on the floor of the basement, what did you do to reestablish your confidence? Besides drink wine. Besides <laughs> drink wine. So I, I actually, this is, goes back to the board of directors, personal number one. I have a husband, real macho guy. You know, he's not a crier. He's like, get yourself up behind your bootstraps. And so, um, you know, I was surprised he let me cry for that whole year because he never really, but he kind of knew. And he finally came down in the basement and said, okay, girl, I've had enough of this shit. <laughs> he said, they didn't change your salary. You get to spend more time with me in summer. You can travel where you want to. And like, you go to dinners and you travel around. Like, what is your problem? <laughs> he said, I thought you were like the hustler. So to be honest with you, it was having, and I consider him like the main person on my board, having that board of directors, um, to say, because I think, you know, even with my board of directors person, I think a lot of times people, it's not intentional, but they don't really, I wouldn't say that they enjoy it, but I think that people like, oh, okay, now she's in her place. Even the people who you're supporters, and I think it's subconscious, it's like bias. So I really didn't have anybody who came to me and said, oh, that's okay. It was like, oh yeah, she's going into diversity, but that was the air I was putting out there. And so you've got to have a circle of red, like you got to choose the right partner. That's my point. The right. person that you make your life partner, you got to choose it. Because if it wasn't for him, I'm sure I wouldn't have, I mean, I was doing my work and I wouldn't have stayed in the basement, but I don't think that I would have ever really thought about it. Okay. They still value me. Yeah. And now I can really kick butt in the diversity space and they pay me to do it, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so it was not anything, again, it wasn't anything metamorphic or cataclysmic. It was just my man coming downstairs saying, hey, <laughs> yep. get real girl. Similar moment, just sobbing on the couch at my mom's house once. And my mom said, okay, I'm going to give you one more hour to cry. And then you got to pick yourself up and get, get on with it. And I was like, oh, okay. But... You've got to be so Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But that's what happened to be real honest with you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is a question from our community. As a black woman, trusted relationships in the workplace are critical to upward mobility. But issues such as gender parity and racism still exist. Given your membership in Delta Sigma Theta, what connections and resources through that sisterhood network and other early relationships? have supported your success throughout your career? Yeah, you know, that, that's a really good question. That was another one I saw, I was like, oh my God, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Somebody noticed I was a Delta. So obviously my beloved sisterhood has been um, wonderful for me in terms of having folks that I could rely on in terms of a board of directors and giving me good advice. But I'm gonna be um, frank about this. If, you're, if you choose a corporate career, even if it's like in a nonprofit or something like that, those are sort of your foundational connections that you use to stay inspired and stay confident. And every now and then, you will have someone in the corporate world who's connected through you through a personal relationship that you can call on. But the truth of the matter is, is even in 2021, there are far and few, and many of those that are in positions of power don't necessarily feel empowered to overtly be supportive. Um, and it's not anyone's fault. I used to get mad and I would say, oh my God, you know, we're in this together, but people are really struggling to survive. And so what I would say is the, the whole issue of, you know, every, most uh, business uh, is about relationships. Um, but I would say that um, I have, this is one place where you may, people may not agree, but I'll share my approach about relationships, connections, and trust. So I have kind of had a firm rule where my work relationships are not really about friendship. My work relationships, actually they can be harder than friendships. They're about building mutual respect and trust. And so 
so and they're very important and you want to maintain them because you want to be able to utilize them and what i have found in my experience is that there are african americans women and other minorities that i can depend on and relate to from network there are more than are in position of powers and if they're in your sorority that does help but most of my relationships have really been based or most of my relationships that have empowered me have been white men um and i have been very deliberate in um understanding those who have power those who are in roles that I want to be in. And I have very deliberately reached out to them for advice, mentorship, and maintain those relationships. You know, it's even like friendships. I mean, I don't have a lot of friends, but they, it takes work. And so those work relationships take work too. And again, you know, so, so if you're building them and you're identifying them and you're finding things in common, that's where trust comes into play. And then the other relationships that you build around you through college, through personal, they just become icing on the cake that augments you. And if by chance um, you come across someone that you've met socially, that's in your, that you know socially or you an organization, then that is all the better. But I really do think that we haven't come to the place where we can fully rely on those sorts of relationships as black people. I think they're important. And just like any other relationship or friendship, you've got to put time in it. And if you don't, if you're not connecting with that person or they don't offer you something, and I don't mean in an exploitive way, then you really have got to, you know, like you've managed all your priorities. Um, because to me, they take time. And so if they're not yielding anything, <laughs> Um, you know, it's kind of, kind of the same way I look at relationships. Right, you know, you right. got to keep it moving. I mean, some of them I haven't moved out soon enough, moved away from soon enough, but you do have to think about it that way. So those bonds are important and I do encourage them, but I do, I would say that the business corporate world is a whole nother game as it relates to, um, the the precision and due diligence and toughness that you need quite honestly to survive and it's and it's exhausting i always tell people that um i'm, I'm, I'm an introvert <laughs> i really am so it takes a lot to be therese <laughs> it takes a lot of energy and so when i go home i like go into my you know my you know I, I, my, my, my folks are like okay aren't you going to talk to us uh but 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 when you decide what you want to do if that's not your natural, even if you love it, you know, you really have to have a game plan and it does take effort and energy. That's why it's called work. <laughs> so Therese, that game plan also takes a lot of confidence and courage, it, right? To like it reach does. out to the white men or, or people just not like you. Uh -huh. um, did you, this is also from the, a member, um, did you always have that kind of like, were you a child that had that sort of confidence? Did you, um, or how was it built? Was it Parental, yeah. did you learn it over time? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I got it from my mama, period T. I mean, I just did. Um, she never, I mean, you know, we were talking about racism and sexism. One of the reasons, and I didn't say this because it was kind of out of context, but since you answered the questions, I think one of the reasons I was successful in the beginning is a lot of times, and people say, oh, no, you can't. I didn't even know that these biases were coming at me. So if someone like questioned me or thought I had done something wrong, I thought it was them. It couldn't be me. <laughs> it just couldn't be me. I, I knew everything. I was one of those people that the world centered around me probably until I was like 35 or 40, right? So when you, so, well, so, when, so, talk, so you talked about earlier how important confidence, that's like you are so strong in your own confidence. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe some people would say as a fault, but actually was probably like your shield. Well, I remember, and I'm going to tell this story. I don't know why I feel so comfortable telling this story, though. But I remember, so I um, I was recruited out of Price Waterhouse to work for Coke. And I was in Atlanta. And at that time, and you, anybody who knows Coke knows it's Atlanta. And so I went to a friend of mine, Coke, and they were like, uh, yes of course coke is atlanta and i was like oh it is so I, yeah, I took the job because i was recommending they offered me a lot of money 
And so I, so I took this job and I was a hot shot. You know, I, you know, I was smart. I was, you know, all these things, right? So this job was an entry level job, even though it paid me a lot of money and everybody went through a track. So I went to the controller and said, um, you know, I really appreciate working at Coke, but you guys um, asked for me. I didn't ask for this. And I expect more responsibility. And I think the people at Price Waterhouse will take me back if I want to go back. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me in his Southern way and said, ah, okay. <laughs> what am I going to do with this crazy woman? I didn't know that's what he was thinking at the time, right? So, so I get this promotion maybe 12 months out or something like that. And he said, look, girl, he didn't say girl, but that's the way he said it. He said, this is a hard job. And if you do well, that's great. But do not come back, ask me for another promotion. And that's when I started realizing the world didn't revolve around me. And when I told people I did this, they thought I was crazy. So, so the long and the short of it is that I realized that everybody wasn't raised by Salima. They didn't have, they, you know, the stars didn't align in the way that people were hiring black women that they wanted to stay. Um, so a lot of my confidence is natural, but you know, when I roll it back and think about it, it was kind of crazy. But again, I also think having a good board of directors around you too, um, and you know, in all seriousness, because even with all of that, I was getting from people who were not my peers and people I know feedback that did reinforce that I was good but they would sometimes put me in check um, as it related to those things. So I think that um, when in doubt, if you have a great board of directors, they can help you resolve those issues. Um, but, um, you know, like I had the confidence, but I can't sing. Some people got natural abilities that I don't have. That was just one that I got um, through being raised by Salima Marriott. <laughs> So, so, I hope that was helpful. I didn't mean to. Oh so helpful. Your mom sounds so amazing. And <laughs> I want to say, you might not be able to see the, the chat, but um, the chat is just on fire right now. Oh, good, good. Community loves you just as much as Kim and I do. So thank you for sharing. You're very me. welcome. Um, but don't do that. Don't do that. That's a warning. Don't do that. Don't you go into that controller's office and tell <laughs> <laughs> Did they know who they were hiring? <laughs> it sounds like you kind of had to figure out the what game you were playing, what field you were on, and then figure yeah. out, okay, um, this is the game around me, and I got to play by the rules of the game. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So that's why now you understand why I was, I mean, why I was floored when I hit that glass ceiling, because I, I didn't expect that to happen. Totally. <laughs> And, I, and again, I think we've all had those moments that have, you know, taken the wind out of our sails and you have to recalibrate somehow, you know, mm -hmm. zig and zag. And that's what this conversation is all about is how we've navigated the zigs and the zags. Exactly, exactly. So another question um, from our audience. Um, they were obviously very excited for this conversation. But another question from the community is how do you structure your day for success? It sounds like you're Super intentional. I'm actually quite stunned to hear that you're an introvert, but um, I get it because you, you know, you're very intentional about everything that you do. But how do you structure your day? Um, okay, that's question number eight. You weren't supposed to get to that. Um, <laughs> I'm the opposite of OCD, so I don't really, but <laughs> I do have some routines that I followed all my life. <laughs> um, but I'm kind of a messy kind of, you know, I like you know, a lot of stuff. So I don't really, I'm not like a structured person, but I do look at my calendar every evening so that I can, I look at it at least five to seven days out so that I can kind of get a sense of what my universe will be like. And then I also, and I actually take a lot of time to, cause you know, sometimes you schedule things and at that moment, it doesn't make sense. So I do a lot of rescheduling, adjusting, canceling, et cetera. Um, I do take an assessment um, every evening of, you know, so I have generally three top things I want to get done. And I generally, if I get one done, I'm generally happy. If there's something that is like, you're going to get fired if you don't get it done, that's the top priority. 
Um, but I do have three priorities. And then every evening I look at them to see, you know, whether I accomplished them or I didn't accomplish them. And then I say, well, did I have it on my list just because or was it important? And I reprioritize it. And then another thing that I do, and even though I'm an introvert, I, you know, and I think because I am an introvert, I realize how important it is to be outgoing, to express yourself. So it's like you're kind of in a play. But I used to actually, when I was in office, I generally took two or three breaks where I walked around the office, I talked to people, always my staff, but even people who like people who I thought were working on, like when I was younger, people who work on projects that I might want to work on, not to, you know, be too nosy, but just to kind of let me know, let them know I was there. Plus just to get a stretch break. Um, what I do now is I love Zoom. So I have people I do Zoom coffee with, and then I love the Zoom happy hour. <laughs> That's really a part of my routine because, you know, in COVID, I don't, you know, we say the new normal. This is not normal. It's even more abnormal, even though we know the vaccine is coming. And we know when we get out of this that we're going to have to be ready. You're going to have to be charged up because the world has changed. You're adapting, you're adapting trends and techniques and approaches that you think are just because of COVID. No. Your corporation is not going to fund travel the way it did. You're going to have to become innovative around digital. You know, folks who depend on dinners and things like that, you know, and no, companies aren't going to pay you $50,000 per event to produce. And so, um, so, so, so staying connected and staying in touch. And I actually think being away also allows you more time to innovate. So come out with good ideas. And then the other thing too, I was doing this because I didn't really realize I was going to retire, um, but it was one of my dream scenarios. I never got a package before. And when they offered me that package, I was like, oh, bye. But, um, but what I was doing is I would reach out to people who I wouldn't ordinarily talk to. And you'd be surprised. They're like you. They're sitting around. They want to have connections. I'm not saying call the chairman. I mean, you can if you want to. But there are probably a lot of people that you can, I mean, everybody that asked for, for now, granted, I was a VP of Supplier Diversity, so either they wanted to help me or they were scared I was going to tell something on them. But I still think that applies to everybody. You know, people want to be connected. And for those who don't, then you really probably don't want to develop a relationship with them anyway. It's like I always tell people, most people want to be mentors as long as you're not high maintenance. You know, most people are honored when you they think you can learn something from them. Now, they don't want to be spending one day a week, every week for two hours with you. But if you say 10 minute coffee chat, maybe once a month, and then you just check in with them, maybe you ping them, maybe you send them a text. That's great. And so I say, um, I can't remember, am I answering the question? Oh yeah, so that's part of my routine. Those are the things that I do that I think have helped me be successful over the years, um, but it's not structured. But I do try to do all of it and I don't beat myself up if I don't get it done. And then another member question along the same lines is, and I'm guessing you kind of answered it because mm -hmm. you're not super structured, but how do you fit it all in find balance and push yourself <laughs> to do more. Um, I, do. <laughs> I don't, um, I don't believe you can have it all. I mean, maybe you can. I mean, I do look at people on TV and they're like, you know, you see them and they work like, you know, eight to eight and their hair is all right. And they're, I, I, I just don't aspire to that. Uh, but what I do aspire to is to identify those things that are important to me and essential for my personal well-being and my professional success and I do those and I do them to the nth degree and sometimes you exhaust yourself and that's okay but that's again when your board of directors especially a personal board of directors comes in play you know you gotta pick people um, in your life like my husband's a great cook and he doesn't mind cooking for me he doesn't mind you know doing stuff um um, so I can like exhaust myself and work crazy, crazy hours and be checking the phones all the time. Um, but I don't think you can really have it all. And I don't really think you should try. If you can, that's great. And I'm happy to take notes, but I don't even really want that life. Um, because to me, that's not really fun. And I do think things have to be fun. Um, I also really suggest now, sometimes this isn't practical. And I, and I know this, especially if you're, um, you haven't been blessed. Um, to have the career I had. But I do say if you can, and when you can, try to do things that you are passionate about. 
because then it's not like work, even though it is work, but it's a little less than work and it makes, it gives you joy versus um, distracting. And again, I love that phrase from Sloan last night. It's like, don't put yourself in trauma, always be focused towards growth. And in this environment, we don't realize it, but we're in trauma. And so if you're doing something that you aren't passionate about and you have to do it, do it the best you can, but do it in a way that you can meet your next goal. Because everybody, you know, you look at people, again, when you look at TV and you see these Instagram people and you think you can have it all, or, you know, you say, oh, and I guess you can. I mean, I've heard people just decide to quit their job and go pursue it. I don't really suggest those things. I think it's great if you're brave enough to do it. But in my space, I just don't think I'm in a position to say those kind of things to people, um, especially now that I'm going to be supporting women of color entrepreneurs. Um, to some degree, I think it's a little bit irresponsible. But like I tell my daughter that, but she's got me to back her up. And, you know, she don't have any school debt. And um, she's got a great job. And if Clorox kicks her out and all that, she can come live with us because we got a big old house and she can do that. But not everybody has that. And we really got to be conscious of that. But do make a plan to hit your passion because then you can kind of have it all. And when you collapse, you're not miserable. Totally. You, um, you mentioned, uh, I want to back up a little bit because on this idea of work, life, and integration and balance. Kim and I totally agree. Work-life balance doesn't exist. Anyone who thinks that is setting themselves up for failure because Instagram is not true. It's, no, it's, it's a version of somebody's little moment in time where they manage to look beautiful and have a perfect meal and perfect hair, but that doesn't exist. So you mentioned your three priorities. Are they like personal and professional each day? Mm-hmm. Are they the same each day? Um, you know, um, no, not really. Um, no, not really, because um, I've always, and this is my passion, um, like, I, like, even though I'm a CPA, I knew I couldn't be an accountant forever. I had to be finance or project. So I'm more of a project-based person. And so they could be the same project, but generally they're different. Um, I guess the routine is the same in the sense that I have I'm looking at my calendar, I'm checking it. Um, there's probably something that I do that's the same, but um, but not really, not really. And I'm not saying that's not good because I know there's some people, like there's like there's some OCD people, which I admire them because they can get so much done, but that's just not how I am. Right. Yeah, we, um, there's a lot of conversation about this idea of work. Someone says she does think work-life balance exists and she's probably right. Um, uh, but I've never been able to reach it. So maybe my priorities aren't right, <laughs> but I hear you and I admire you for that. And you're right, it's how you define it. So maybe um, the way I'm defining it, that's my work-life balance um, to, you know, to, to focus on the, you know, go full speed with those passions and then be sure I do my personal stuff. So that's a good point. Yeah. Work-life integration. I like that. I like that. I agree. It's okay to not want it all. Yeah. So um, obviously 2020 was a stressful year on so many levels from um, the the COVID perspective, from racial injustice, social injustice, economic um, uncertainties and economic injustice. It was a really stressful year. how does stress affect you? And when you are stressed, how do you manage it? Yeah, okay. Um, that's, that's a really good question. Um, you know, it. I try to be, I try to, a lot of times you're under stress and you don't know it. Um, and to your point, 2020 has just been just one stress point. You know, I've been very fortunate in that I did get this great package and I was able to retire full. And so that helped offset some of the things. Um, But it goes back to what I said before, Um, self-awareness is very important because I think, you know, women in particular are are probably to some degree, always under some degree of stress, even if their job and everything is perfect, just because you know there are factors that you can't control that are confronting you. And so again, just being self, so I try to be self-aware I do try to take those pause breaks. And and I have to say this, um, I really think 
um, the reason why being self-aware is so important. And I think that most people get it, but um, if the stress is always there and you're not getting the balance, um, if you haven't integrated in your life in a way that you're feeling whole and healthy and happy most of the time, um, I'm a big proponent of counseling. Uh, if you're working for a company, many of them offer that sort of support. Um, and even if it's, and you know, and some people, again, I, I really do try to factor in that, you know, that's not necessarily practical. We don't have universal health care. There are always a lot of good support groups out there, especially with the internet. Um, but I do think that um, um, seeking outside advice, and, and for me, it's not, in that case, it's not necessarily my husband or my friend on my board, because that really requires um, people who understand human behavior. And I happen to be lucky that my mom is a doctor and she's a mental health professional, but then you don't really want your mama counseling you either because there's no telling uh, where that might be. But I really do think that we've got to be in the moment with that and understand when life is off balance and it's not just you're having a bad day and, um, you know, use the techniques that, you know, there's so many self-help, self-love books out there, you know, and everybody is different. But I really do say, um, um, think about that and, uh, and, and have somebody that you can call on on an ongoing basis. I do, and it helps me. That's fantastic. We would have totally agree with that, but <laughs> there's the, you know, healthy stress mm -hmm. that comes in and out, but there are times right. where it's critical to seek training exactly. advice um, when it's just too much. Exactly. All right. I think we have time for one more question. Um, how do you pay it forward and give back to others? Mentoring is how I pay it forward. Amazing. Thank you so much for um, spending your time with us today. Thank you for your energy and your insights. And um, really, just what a privilege to spend this hour with you, learning and in conversation with you. Well, thank you for reaching out to me on LinkedIn. This is a wonderful relationship. And uh, I, um, I'm, I'm really benefiting from it as well. And I think the women that I support uh, will benefit also. So I'm really looking forward to staying connected to Kahila. Is it Kahila? The Kahila, yes. Kahila, yes. Is that pronouncing it correctly? Yes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you all for participating. I appreciate yeah, you. Thank you, Therese. Um, thank you, everyone, for being here. This actually is an example of reaching out and doing a, a cold <laughs> intro on LinkedIn and using it to, to meet someone super interesting out there um, and build a relationship with. So real life example. Um, we will see you all back in the platform. Step up and show up as your boldest and fullest self. And while you're up there, please reach down and pull another woman up too. We will see you next time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. If you love this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe.